crisis, but with an incredible opportunity, not just to build back to where we were before, but better, stronger, more resilient. Underlying message here is the, the energy industry is, is an important component to how we move to this phase of, of economic recovery. Now, understandably, nations have poured billions into shoring up health services, but the recovery, now that lockdowns are being lifted, needs to take into consideration our other global emergency, climate change. So there's a big opportunity to retrofit buildings and homes across this country, to clean up our transportation sector with electric vehicles, to clean up our electricity system with wind and solar. In the near term, we have to think of not only what are our goals, but how do we address the barriers to make sure we're making equitable investments so that we can actually reach those goals together. In many ways, the Golden State is in a dark place. Power outages recently took place during a historic heat wave, followed by devastating wildfires. And all of this on top of persistently high COVID-19 case numbers and a once-roaring economy now faced with a $54 billion budget shortfall. But despite these challenges, there's reason to believe that California can build back in an economically and environmentally sustainable way, says Tom Steyer, former Democratic presidential candidate, climate activist, and co-chair of Governor Gavin Newsom's Economic Recovery Task Force. We speak to Tom on this episode of Political Climate, the second episode in our Relief Rescue Rebuild series, supported by Third Way. I'm Julia Piper, your host of Political Climate, a weekly podcast on energy and environmental issues in America and around the world, presented by the USC Schwarzenegger Institute. I'm also a contributing editor at Green Tech Media and a senior fellow at the Atlantic Council. As I mentioned, this is episode two in the Relief Rescue Rebuild series, sponsored by Third Way a public policy think tank supporting policies that will drive innovation and deployment of clean energy technologies and deliver the emissions cuts needed to win the fight against climate change. This month, Third Way released a survey of clean energy industry businesses that found two-thirds of respondents have had to delay or postpone orders due to COVID-19, and 46% of respondents said they will have to lay off workers, lower wages, cut hours, or cease operations if federal assistance programs run out. For clean energy, like many segments of the U.S. economy, the stakes are high right now. We launched the Relief Rescue Rebuild series to explore what building back better from the COVID-19 economic downturn would look like. What kinds of actions will produce the best results in terms of economic growth, improved health, lower emissions, and greater resilience? In our first episode, we spoke to professor and energy policy expert Leah Stokes about the concept of green recovery and why she believes it's critical to apply a climate and equity lens to economic stimulus policies. In that episode, I also spoke to Third Way's Alex Laska and Ani Blair of the organization Link Houston about how to create sustainable transportation systems and how to avoid mistakes from the past as governments seek to rebuild going forward. 
In this episode, we take a look at California and how the most populous state in the nation with ambitious climate goals is crafting its economic recovery plan in the midst of the pandemic, extreme heat, and brutal wildfires. To discuss, I got on the line last week with Tom Steyer, who's advising Governor Gavin Newsom on how to manage through these crises. In this conversation, I'm also joined by my co-hosts, Brandon Hurlbut and Shane Skelton. Brandon is a clean tech investor and partner at the consulting firm Boundary Stone Partners and former chief of staff at the Department of Energy. Shane is a partner at consulting firm S2C Pacific and former energy advisor to Representative Paul Ryan. To catch all of our Relief Rescue Rebuild episodes, subscribe to Political Climate wherever you get podcasts. And now on with the show. Mr. Steyer, thank you for joining us. We are delighted to have you back on the Political Climate Podcast. My pleasure. Nice to see you guys. So you are wearing a number of hats right now. You are working with California Governor Gavin Newsom on the state's economic recovery. You're coordinating with the Biden campaign on getting out climate voters in this election. And of course, we can't forget your own presidential bid. You ran for president not long ago. You were up on the debate stage with everybody else. And here we are, flash forward. It's a it's a new paradigm. And of course, you have a long history of working on climate issues and supporting climate activism. And I think all of that will really help inform what you think the nation needs to be doing and the state of California specifically going forward. How do we build back from the current crisis that we're in and keep climate issues and equity at the center? So there's lots to talk about, lots we want to get your thoughts on. First, I want to start with the California recovery. In April, Mr. Steyer, you were selected by California Governor Gavin Newsom to co-chair his California Economic Recovery Task Force, along with his chief of staff, Anne O'Leary, and some other major prominent names on that task force, which has more than 70 members. Some of those names are Chair of the Federal Reserve, Janet Yellen, Disney Executive Chairman Bob Iger, and Apple CEO Tim Cook. So just lay out for me what exactly you're working on. California was, was swift in taking action on the virus. And here we are now still in partial shutdown mode. It seems like there's so much work to do here and people are confused as to what the path to recovery looks like. So just give us an overview of how you're going at this issue. Thanks, Julia. I mean, this task force advises Governor Newsom and we support him in the idea that the health and safety of Californians comes first and that we'll only have a robust recovery when the virus is under control. So the, that is the given premise. Now, the task force is advising him on short, immediate issues, like the kinds of protocols by which you can open up a retail store or a restaurant or a theme park, immediate issues. It's coming up with some specific medium-term plans, like we have been working since day one on closing the digital divide and getting kids hooked up to the internet across the state so that they can go back to school completely online. We're working on small business initiatives like the Shop Safe Shop Local Initiative. That's the intermediate term. And then in the longer term, we're trying to step back and take a vision of how we create a more equitable California long term, how the recovery produces a more sustainable, clean tech California long term. And as we've been going through, we are advising the governor on every single step of the recovery on a day-to-day basis, but also trying to have a longer-term vision. And so, you know, we have been incredibly busy. We There is an enormous amount to do and continues to be to make sure that not only do we support them until the virus is under control, but that when we come out, we come out better. 
that we don't go back to February of 2020. I think this virus has exposed the injustices, racial, economic, and environmental in our society. So to try and have a plan to deal with those, to deal with the idea of a truly sustainable, I mean, gosh, you guys know, this weekend was a record-breaking heat weekend for California ever by a ton. So we need to be able to be, you know, sustainable. We need to be able to deal with the issues brought up by this heat, like the fires around our state. And we need to grow back in a way that's just, so it's more shared, so that the people who've borne the brunt of this pandemic, both in terms of health and safety, but also in terms of jobs, are at the front of the line as we build back the state. I think you captured our title for this series, Relief, Rescue, Rebuild, kind of perfectly there. You got to go after the relief, rescue, rebuild in that in that order, I guess, because you can't do much until the virus is under control. But when we think about the rebuild piece, I mean, how do you keep climate and energy issues top of the agenda? Just because there are so many immediate issues. You mentioned things like access to, to internet and, and technology so that kids can learn. That's an immediate thing. And even California, a huge environmental leader, has had to scale back on some of its budgeting for environmental issues this year under the Newsom administration purely because of the current strain on the budget. So how do you keep climate and energy issues on the agenda when there's just so much to be addressed right now? Well, Julia, you're right. The budget is under immense strain because of a very sharp economic slowdown. But that doesn't mean we can't move forward environmentally. Governor Newsom has is, is been an environmentalist for his entire career. First of all, we can try to get rid of the multiple jurisdictions and regulations that are preventing faster building of solar and wind around the state. I've met with the uh, representatives of both those industries, and we've gone through on a case-by-case basis. And I know the governor wants to make sure that that permitting process is streamlined and easier. And secondly, there's a huge difference between operating budgets and infrastructure budgets. And so I think over time, it's going to be critical in California and across the United States to have a big green infrastructure project that puts environmental justice at its heart, that deals first and foremost with the air and water pollution in underserved black and brown communities where that pollution has been concentrated forever, but also a gigantic jobs program, a union jobs program to build all the infrastructure necessary for us to move to a clean future, to a sustainable future. And that is something that's gotta be a combination of the federal government, you know, the kinds of things that Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are talking about in the Build Back Better plan, and the state government, the kinds of infrastructure projects that the state can and will do under Governor Newsom. Maybe I'll hand it over to Brandon. Do you have any thoughts on uh, infrastructure, Brandon, and what you'd want to see from the Democratic side? Yeah, I mean, I'm seeing the same uh, permitting issues that Tom's talking about. Um, One of the companies I serve on the board for is Swell Energy, and they install uh, residential home batteries. They pair it with solar. They aggregate those homes um, and provide uh, grid services. And uh, they're having real troubles uh, getting permitting uh, done right now with with during COVID. And so, as Tom talked about with the wildfires going on, uh, this is a critical time for people to have power, especially being at home during COVID. So we um, we need a lot of work on that. Look, what Brandon is saying is really true. We need in the short run to make it possible 
or shall we say much, much easier for companies to develop the clean energy that's available and affordable right now. If you look around this state with the fires, but also let's face it, millions of Californians were without power this weekend. And that was because you know of the heat wave and everybody turning on their air conditioners at the same time. It meant that the they shut down big parts of the state so that the system itself wouldn't fail. That sounds to me like a system that needs to be, shall we say, upgraded? Because it's not like the heat's going away. I mean, everyone's like, yeah, this is an extraordinary heat weekend. Maybe the hottest temperature in the history of the planet in Death Valley this weekend. But I, I think the real point is this. It's not going away. It's not like we're reverting to the temperatures of the 1970s. This is something that's building. So we need to build the kind of system that will be resilient in that context. There's no way around it. By the way, it's a great jobs program. Yeah, do you think they'll look at revisiting the way the regulatory regime operates in California for clean energy, like going to performance-based regulation? Or I mean, are you, do you think they'll look at wholesale changes like that? Or is it gonna be more like tweaking around the edges? I don't think I don't honestly know on that one, Brandon. But what I really do believe in my heart of hearts is this is a statement that we need a system upgrade. Mm -hmm. And you know, I think that if you look around the United States for all the things you're trying to do to put it, well, if you put in batteries and solar, then maybe you can, you know, be in effect off the grid at some level. But to the extent that we're going to have a grid that people are going to be on, which I think the overwhelming bulk of Californians are going to do and Americans are going to do, then we need that grid to be upgraded. We need it to be flexible. We need it to be able to be, you know, reliable. And so that is going to be part of a huge, look, if you look at the Build Back Better plan that Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are pushing, it's $2 trillion over four years. We're talking about spending an enormous amount of money to basically build the backbone for a clean, green America. And, and that's something that's got to happen in California, first and foremost. Mr. Steyer, I'm glad you brought up the uh, the brownouts because I was in one of the service territories with the rolling brownouts and it, it you know didn't really affect us a whole lot. It was at night. It was already you know cooler. But it did get me to thinking as someone who spends all my time thinking about energy and climate, how? How, how can this happen in a state as big as ours and a state as advanced as ours when I happen to know there's several individuals, companies, hundreds, if not thousands, who want to spend money on infrastructure, who want to you know unleash new technologies, who want to do this? When you're sitting on the governor's task force and you start to think about how do we solve this, obviously, you know, the answer is not build three more gas plants. So how do we and have you guys started to think about how to provide Brandon mentioned performance based regulations, but just a platform that allows all this capital and all these entrepreneurs who have solutions and want to get them to market? How do we just let them in? How do we how do we fix that? Shane, problem? let me say this. I don't I, along with the activists from Oxnard. I was one of the leaders to stop what I think will be the last proposed natural gas plant in California, which was the Puente plant. I'm 100% clear that the way to solve these problems is not more fossil fuel plants, but in fact, a system, what you said is exactly right. And that's why I started by saying we need to get the regulations to be streamlined so that companies can provide the clean uh, systems that people want. And then we need to make sure that the backbone is resilient and reliable and capable. And so when I think about this, yes, do I think we need, I understand your point about the 
the way that we put in incentives in the system. But I think beyond that, we need a system itself that is, you know, up to the standards, up to the demands of the 21st century, when we're clearly at a time in California, when heat, you know, I looked at some of those heat records, just to put this in perspective, on Saturday, and there were cities where the heat was 12 degrees Fahrenheit higher on that day than it had ever been. You know, we are in a new uh, regime from a climate standpoint. It's not going back. We need to adapt to that new regime at the same time that we make sure that we're 100% fossil fuel free. One last question on the California task force before we go a little deeper on the federal side. How are you going to put these recommendations into action? So many times brilliant people get together. There's a great report. There's press coverage. And then what happens? You know, so how are you making sure this becomes actionable information? Well, Julia, I mean, we are an advisory task force to the governor. So there are people, as you said, with incredible expertise in every part of the state's business. It's very geographically dispersed. You mentioned some business leaders. You mentioned Janet Yellen. We also have 15 union heads. We have community leaders from across California. So we really do have a breadth of experience. But ultimately, as you know, the governor has got to make the decision if we're going to do a big infrastructure plan. That's his decision. He's got to figure out how to make that happen, how to work with the legislature to make that happen, or to put it on the ballot. So in fact, I think there's a broad consensus in California about a need to do that, but he's the person who has to decide how to implement it. And I think that, you know, as we're going, we haven't gotten to this point yet because we're still, you know, there the legislature is in session until August 31st. So that is front of mind. But I think the long-term question about how we build is something that we're spending a lot of time on and are going to try and help him you know, as he thinks about how to build the California of the future, which has a lot of demands on it. But I think we have a lot of capability and I think he, we will succeed and he will lead us to succeed in building that clean and more equitable California that I think these times demand. So shifting to the Biden side of things. In July, I understand the campaign recruited you along with Carol Browner and several other high profile figures to join the Joe Biden Climate Engagement Advisory Council, which is focused on mobilizing climate and environmental voters for the Democratic nominee in the November election. You know, you ran for president. Hard to imagine that was a minute ago and forever ago. Um, are you excited about the Democratic platform? Uh, do you Are you surprised at all how far it's come? And do you think it needs to go further? Or do you think that the party's in a really good place right now? What would you say about where Biden's put things on climate specifically? Look, I think the plan, the Build Back Better plan that the Biden-Harris, you know, team has put together, honestly, is fantastic. I think that it is just about perfect for this time. It's got $2 trillion, as I said, of infrastructure spending in the first four years. It is an environmental justice plan as well as a climate plan. It deals specifically with the needs of black and brown communities where we've had concentrated air and water pollution. And he's used it to, he's worked with people from those communities to make sure it's right. But he's also used it to reach out to people in those communities to show that in fact, this campaign is addressing issues that are absolutely critical for them. And it is also a gigantic jobs program. And I, I didn't say this with reference to the state, but it's true in California as it is across the United States. 
This pandemic has blown a big hole in demand in the United States. This is the kind of time when you absolutely need government to step in. And a, a huge clean infrastructure bill is dramatically overdue. So it is an environmental justice plan. It's also a union jobs program. And you can tell that that's true because he has union support. in On that uh, advisory council that you were discussing, Julia, is the head of the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Lonnie Stevenson. He is the head of the biggest energy union in the United States of America. He is strongly supporting Joe Biden and Kamala Harris because this plan addresses working people's needs, working families' needs, unions' need to create jobs across this country. So I think this plan, I am actually really excited about this plan because we need something like this, pass it. You know, it requires legislative action. We're going to have to have a big win, Democrats, in November. Pass it because that puts us in a position and puts Joe Biden in a position to lead the world. I mean, we can't solve this climate problem in California. We can't solve this climate problem in the United States of America. We need to get together with the other 194 countries in the world and solve it together with American leadership. And you know that's not happening under this administration. The exact opposite has happened under this administration. Tom, do you think, you know, after the election, we'll be able to get some Republicans to come along with that? Or do you think we're going to have to get rid of the filibuster and just do it that way. Shane liked some parts of the Biden plan. So there, there's one Republican. He's not in office, but for whatever that's <laughs> worth. <laughs> Look, I, it, the Republicans are going to have to make up their minds what they want to do. It is extraordinarily clear to everybody in the United States that the climate is changing. It's changing because of human activity, that we have to address it, or it will be disastrous for the health and safety of Americans or for people all over the world. So... I don't understand what the Republicans have been doing for the last 10 years or 15 years. I have no idea what they were thinking about. I have no idea what they're thinking about opening up the Alaska National Wildlife Refuge to oil drilling this weekend. I have no idea what they're thinking about, so I don't want to predict what they're going to do. What I know we can do is this. We can show up and vote on November 3rd. We can win a huge victory. We, can, we have it in our power to pass this Build Back Better plan. There is the next UN conference, like the one in Paris in 2015, will be in Glasgow, Scotland in November of 2021. We can lead the world leading up to that and at that conference, and we can change the course of history, and we have to. So how do I feel about it? I feel as if it's up to us to do what's right, the Republicans can make up their own minds. I don't understand what they've done so far. To me, what they've been doing is shockingly destructive, supporting a, 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 a you know a technology that has been proved to be dangerous to the safety and health of every single American, and they keep on their path. I don't want to predict what they'll do. What we can do is take control of this situation. That's why Joe Biden's exciting. The plan itself is exciting. It is a huge change in history. This is a transformative plan. We can be a transformative country. He can be a transformative president. 
Yeah, Mr. Cyberluck, I'm certainly not going to defend the elected Republicans' record on climate right now. They're they're not doing a lot of the things that need to be done. They haven't been, you know, good partners in negotiating uh, forward-looking climate policies. I think there's room for debate around whether or not we should be producing, you know, more oil and gas on federal lands. But let's talk about the Democrats because they've been very open and honest about their ability to address climate change. So when you look at the Biden-Harris plan. What it really does is it takes things that we know. It takes, you know, a clean energy standard to a, a cleaner level. It looks at regulating regulated industries, you know, more sternly and pretty much uses the levers of government that have been used for decades to try to eliminate carbon emissions and address climate change. There's nothing wrong with that. But as someone who spent a lot of time, uh, you know, in Northern California and Silicon Valley and understand sort of what's going on in the R&D space, but also just as a climate advocate, Do you think that there's an opportunity to not just do more of what Washington's always done, but rather rethink how one would build a strong, robust economy that also addresses climate change? Is there there an opportunity to completely rethink how we address climate rather than just saying, if I get elected, I'm going to regulate more than what you've seen in the past? Well, Shane, I don't think those are the choices. I, I mean, look, I live in California. If you're asking me, do I think that we can come up with new technologies to meet people's needs in a clean way? Absolutely. Look, one of the things that people are not that aware of is that the technology in energy has come incredibly far, faster than anyone would have thought. And our capabilities of creating clean energy, as you suggest, are are immense and going to get a lot better. So I don't look at this and say, oh my goodness, you know, we have to eat our gruel and it's going to be lousy. I say, turn loose American genius, for goodness sake. Let Americans, we can solve this problem in a way so that people have a better lifestyle and we're not destroying the planet and putting ourselves at risk. So in answer to your question, what we need to do is put in a system where American innovation and technology and forward thinking can thrive. And that's exactly what I think this plan does. And that's what, look, that's what I believe in. That's what's going to happen. And that frankly is what has happened. We're ahead on every metric of what people expected us to be in August of 2020. And and there's stuff on the horizon in terms of technology that is just fantastic. And so you know, we need to put ourselves in a position where we're moving towards that, where we're putting a lot of money into research and into, you know, the bright minds of America. I would say to people, what do you think is going to succeed? The brilliance of Americans or burning rocks? I'm going to go with the brilliance of Americans personally. It is also interesting to see some of these conversations transcend political parties. Disrupting utilities, for instance, is not a left or right thing. It's a view of the world thing. And we're going to have to see how innovative Americans are, are able and willing to be. Um, I want to bring up a question that comes up a lot among younger people that I talk to, I see online. And I feel like Brandon hates when I bring up these questions about Democrats having any divisions within them. But a lot of people I know really don't think Biden is the climate candidate. They were looking to people like you and, and, and Jay Inslee as the leaders. And they really point to the fact that he hasn't totally called for ending uh, fracking and moving away from natural gas. Obviously, he's got a strong presence in Pennsylvania. There's a strong union, um, I know, group there. And people say, how is he going to continue this balancing act of both being bold on climate and appeasing the fossil fuel industry in Pennsylvania, which does provide a lot of good jobs? Another democratic issue is having those good jobs and good wages. So how does he do both? And can he do both forever? It feels like at some point he'll have to show his true colors as to where he falls on that issue. 
Well, I think if you look at the Build Back Better plan, Julia, you can see that it calls for 100% clean electricity generation by 2035. That's aggressive. You know, that's faster than we promised to do it in California. And we're normally thought of as the state that's furthest along in all of these progressive energy measures. So that's my first point is he is definitely calling for something over the next 15 years that's very aggressive with a lot of investment and infrastructure put in to clean energy generation. And the other thing that I think is true, which is why unions are supporting him, Joe Biden really cares about people. I mean, if there's one thing that comes through over and over again is he sees policy through people. He is not looking at union workers and trying to make a political calculation of how to get them. It's in his bones to care about them and to give them dignity and respect and try and make sure, you know, American workers, that families are protected. So if you look at this infrastructure, but it is literally a huge job creator for people in industry, in unions and working people across the country in every community. So I really believe that it's in his heart, both to push on a very aggressive time schedule for clean energy generation and to create millions of good paying union jobs across this country at the same time. So it's not a contradiction that in fact, we're going to get to the right place and we're going to get there in a way that's respectful of working people, respecting, respectful of the union movement, of the labor movement, and really does it in the right way. That's why I said, this plan's exciting. If you look at it, he really has managed to make it an environmental justice and a jobs program at the same time that it addresses our climate needs. Tom, uh, I want to make a, a plug and then I have a question for you. So plug is our listeners know that I co-chair Clean Energy for Biden. And on September 3rd at 3 p.m., we're hosting a major event uh, on innovation. And our big guest is Tom Steyer. So this one, this podcast is free, but for the big one, you got to pay, but it's going to a good cause. Uh, so my question to you, Tom, is, you know, one of the things I really admire about you is, is you walk the walk. You know, you, you really invest in climate. You started next gen, you ran for president. Do you think um, right now that these other um, people with incredible resources like Zuckerberg, Bezos, Bloomberg, do they understand how fragile our democracy is? And, you know, the things that separate America from so many other countries are really vulnerable right now. And do you think that they're doing enough not to get involved in a partisan like it's a Democrat or Republican president, but like in, in sort of saving these institutions and, and the democracy as we know it? Do you, do you think they're doing enough? You know, Brandon, I, I, I want to say two things. One. I do think that those guys have consciences and try to b balance their desires between building their companies and doing the right thing. That's the first thing I'll say. This, but, but I don't look to corporate leaders and their consciences to save us. No, I really don't. I look to the American people to save us. I, I, and I think who you see really matters in this life. I mean, what I, I've always said, I absolutely loved running for president because it put me in touch with tens of thousands of Americans. And that's who I spent my time with. And it was incredibly joyful and educational and spiritual. And so do, I, I'm never going to put my faith 
in our safety and our future in corporate leaders. Mm-hmm. I'm going to put my trust in people who I believe are in contact with the American people, who are taking in the compassion and the bravery and the intelligence, broadly speaking, of people across our country. That's who I want to trust. And honestly, that's the movement that's got to save us. We have got to be a bottoms-up Democratic Party. We have to be a bottoms-up American government. We have got to go back to democracy, you know, in its most basic sense. That's what 2020 is about to me, honest to God, Brandon. It is about we save ourselves. I'm not waiting for these guys to come in and save us. I, you know, we're the adults. The American people are the adults in the room. We have to show up on November 3rd. We have to take back the country. And then we got to save ourselves. Maybe not even November 3rd. Maybe a little earlier with that ballot, like two weeks earlier. <laughs> but I, honestly, that's where we, this is a historic moment. This is do or die. I am very excited about this ticket, about Biden-Harris. Very excited. But I'm really excited about the American people taking back our country broadly speaking, and reestablishing the idea of a democracy and the wisdom and genius of the American people. That's what I'm pushing for. That's what I believe in, honestly. Lots of work to do. Mr. Steyer, thank you so much for joining us again on Political Climate. We really appreciate your time. So nice to see you all. It's a great pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode of Relief Rescue Rebuild, sponsored by Third Way. These episodes air on the last Thursday of every month, so be sure to subscribe so you don't miss them. Thank you to our assistant producer, Andrew Robinson, and our social media manager, Zoe Harluk, for their help with this episode. Our theme song was created by AY Music, music with a K, not a C. You can find them on SoundCloud or by searching for AY Music with a K on Instagram and Twitter. And speaking of Instagram and Twitter, you can follow the Political Climate Podcast for updates and extra content at poly underscore climate, P-O-L-I underscore climate. All right, that's it. Until next time.